Chapter Eight of Your United States by Arnold Bennett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight: Citizens. Nothing in New York fascinated me as much as the indications of the vast and multitudinous, straitened middle-class life that is lived there the average respectable difficult struggling existence i would always regard this medium plane of the social organism with more interest than the upper and lower planes and in new york the enormity of it becomes spectacular as i passed in elevated trains across the end of street after street and street after street and saw so many of them just alike and saw so many similar faces mysteriously peering in the same posture between the same curtains through the same windows of the same great houses and saw canaries in cages and enfeebled plants in pots and bows of ribbon and glints of picture frames and saw crowd after dense crowd fighting down on the cobbled roads for the fearful privilege of entering a surface car i had or seemed to have a composite vision of the general life of the city and what sharpened and stimulated the vision more than anything else was the innumerable flashing glimpses of immense torn clouds of clean linen or linen almost clean fluttering and shaking in withdrawn courtyards between rows and rows of humanized windows this domestic detail repugnant possibly to some was particularly impressive to me it was the visible index of what life really is on a costly rock ruled in all material essentials by trusts corporations and the grand principle of tipping i would have liked to live this life for a space in any one of half a million restricted flats with not quite enough space not quite enough air not quite enough dollars and a vast deal too many continual strains on the nerves i would have liked to come to close quarters with it and get its subtle and sinister toxin incurably into my system could i have done so could i have participated in the least of the uncountable daily dramas of which the externals are exposed to the gaze of any starer in an elevated i should have known what new york truly meant to new yorkers and what was the real immediate effect of average education reacting on average character in average circumstances and the knowledge would have been precious and exciting beyond all knowledge of the staggering wonders of the capital but of course i could not approach so close to reality the visiting stranger seldom can he must be content with his imaginative visions now and then i had the good fortune to come across illuminating stories of new york dailiness tales of no important event but which lit up for me the whole expanse of existence in the hinterlands of the elevated as for instance the following the tiny young wife of the ambitious and feverish young man is coming home in the winter afternoon she is forced to take the street car and in order to take it she is forced to fight to fight physically is part of the daily round of the average fragile pale indomitable new york woman 
in the swaying crowd she turns her head several times and in tones of ever-increasing politeness requests a huge male animal behind her to refrain from pushing he does not refrain being skilled as a mariner is skilled in beaching himself and a boat on a surfy shore she does ultimately achieve the inside of the car and she sinks down therein apparently exhausted the huge male animal follows and as he passes her infuriated by her indestructible politeness he sticks his head against her little one and says threateningly what's the matter with you anyway he could crush her like a butterfly and moreover she is about ready to faint but suddenly in uncontrollable anger she lifts that tiny gloved hand and catches the huge male animal a smart smack in the face can't you be polite she hisses then she drops back blushing horrified by what she has done she sees another man throw the aghast male animal violently out of the car and then salute her with madam i take off my hat to you and the tired car settles down to apathy for after all the incident is in its essence part of the dailiness of new york the young wife gets home obsessed by the fact that she has struck a man in the face in a public vehicle she is still blushing when she relates the affair in a rush of talk to another young wife in the flat next to hers for heaven's sake don't tell my husband she implores if he knew he'd leave me forever and the young husband comes home after his own personal dose of streetcar preoccupied fatigued nervous hungry demanding to be loved and the young wife has to behave as though she had been lounging all the afternoon in a tea-gown on a soft sofa curious that although she is afraid of her husband's wrath the temptation to tell him grows stronger indeed is it not a rather fine thing that she has done and was not the salute of the admiring male flattering and sweet not many tiny wives would have had the pluck to slap a brute's face she tells the young husband it is an error of tact on her part for he secretly exacerbated was waiting for just such an excuse to let himself go he is angry he is outraged as she had said he would be what his wife his etc etc a night full of everything except sleep full of elevated and rumbling cars and trumps of autos and the eternal liveliness of the cobbled street and all incomprehensible noises and stuffiness and the sense of other human beings too close above too close below and to the left and to the right and before and behind the sense that there are too many people on earth what new yorker does not know the wakings after the febrile doze that ends such a night the nerves like taut strings love turned into homicidal hatred and the radiator damnably tapping tapping the young husband afoot and shaved and inexpensively elegant and he is demanding his fried eggs the young wife is afoot too maneuvering against the conspiracies of the janitor who lives far below out of sight but who permeates her small flat like a malignant influence 
hear the whistling of the dumb-waiter eggs are demanded authoritatively bitterly if glances could kill not only that flat but the whole house would be strewn with corpses eggs something happens something arrives something snaps a spell is broken and horror is let loose take your eggs cries the tiny wife in a passion the eggs fly across the table and the front of a man's suit is ruined she sits down and fairly weeps appalled at herself last evening she was punishing males this morning she turns eggs into missiles she a loving an ambitious and intensely respectable young wife as for him he sits motionless silent decorated with the colors of eggs a graduate of a famous university calamity has brought him also to his senses still weeping she puts on her hat and jacket where are you going he asks solemnly no longer homicidal no longer hungry i must hurry to the cleaners for your other suit says she tragic and she hurries a shocking story a sordid story you say not a bit they are young they have the incomparable virtue of youthfulness it is not all that the point of the story is that it illustrates new york a new york more authentic than the spaciousness of upper fifth avenue or the unnatural dailiness of grand hotels i like it you may see that couple later in a suburban house a real home for the time being with a colorable imitation of a garden all about it and the finest suburban railway service in the world the whole being a frame and environment for the rearing of children i have sat at dinner in such houses and the talk was of nothing but children and anybody who possessed any children or any reliable knowledge of the ways of children was sure of a respectable hearing and warm interest if one said by the way i think i may have a photograph of the kid in my pocket every eye would reply immediately out with it man or woman and don't pretend you don't always carry the photograph with you on purpose to show it off in such a house it is proved that children are unmatched as an exhaustless subject of conversation and the conversation is rendered more thrilling by the sense of partially tamed children children fully aware of their supremacy prowling to and fro unseen in muddy boots and torn pinafores and speculating in their realistic way upon the mysteriousness of adults we are keen on children here says the youngish father frankly he is altered now from the man he was when he inhabited a diminutive flat in the full swirl of new york his face is calmer milder more benevolent and more resignedly worried and assuredly no one would recognize in him the youth who howled murderously at university football matches and cried with monstrous ferocity at sight of danger from the opposing colors kill him kill him for me i can't stand his red stockings coming up the field yet it is the same man and his father too is the fruit of university education and further one feels that his passion for his progeny is one of the chief causes of american interest in education 
he and his like are at the root of the modern university not the millionaires in chicago i was charmed to hear it stoutly and even challengingly maintained that the root of chicago university was not mr rockefeller but the parents of chicago assuming that the couple have no children there is a good chance of catching them later splendidly miserable in a high-class apartment house where the entire daily adventure of living is taken out of your hands and done for you and you pay a heavy price in order to be deprived of one of the main interests of existence the apartment house ranks in my opinion among the more pernicious influences in american life as an institution it is unhappily establishing itself in england and in england it is terrible i doubt if it is less terrible in its native land it is antisocial because it works always against the preservation of the family unit and because it is unfair to children and because it prevents the full flowering of an individuality nobody can be himself in an apartment house if he tried that game he would be instantly thrown out it is immoral because it fosters bribery and because it is pretentious itself and encourages pretense in its victims it is unfavorable to the growth of taste because its decorations and furniture are and must be ugly they descend to the artistic standard of the vulgarest people in it and have not even the merit of being the expression of any individuality at all it is enervating because it favors the creation of a race that can do absolutely nothing for itself it is unhealthy because it is sometimes less clean than it seems and because often it forces its victims to eat in a dining-room whose walls are a distressing panorama of swiss scenery and because its cuisine is and must be at best mediocre since meals at once sound and showy cannot be prepared wholesale some apartment houses are better than others many are possibly marvels of organization and value for money but none can wholly escape the indictment the institution itself though it may well be a natural and inevitable by-product of racial evolution is bad an experienced dweller in apartment houses said to me of a seeming magnificent house which i had visited and sampled we pay six hundred dollars for two poor little rooms and a bathroom and twenty-five dollars a week for board whether we eat or not the food is very bad it is all kept hot for about an hour on steam so that every dish tastes of laundry everything is an extra telephone lights tips especially tips i tip everybody i even tip the chef i tip the chef so that when i am utterly sick of his fanciness and prefer a mere chop or a steak he will choose me an eatable chop or steak and that's how things go on my true and candid friend the experienced dweller in apartment houses was i have good reason to believe an honourable man and it is therefore a considerable tribute to the malefic influence of apartment-house life 
that he had no suspicion of the gross antisocial immorality of his act in tipping the chef clearly it was an act calculated to undermine the chef's virtue if all the other experienced dwellers did the same it was also a silly act producing no good effect at all but if only a few of them did it then it was an act which resulted in the remainder of the victims being deprived of their full fair chance of getting eatable chops or steaks my friend's proper course was obviously to have kicked up a row and to have kicked up a row in a fashion so clever that the management would not put him into the street he ought to have organized a committee of protest he ought to have convened meetings for the outlet of public opinion he ought to have persevered day after day and evening after evening until the management had been forced to exclude uneatable chops and steaks utterly from their palatial premises and to exact the honest performance of duty from each and all of the staff in the end it would have dawned upon the management that inedible food was just as much out of place in the restaurant as counterfeit bills and coins at the cash desk the proper course would have been difficult and tiresome the proper course often is my friend took the easy wicked course that is to say he exhibited a complete lack of public spirit an apartment house is only an apartment house whereas the republic is the republic and yet i permit myself to think that the one may conceivably be the mirror of the other and i do positively think that american education does not altogether succeed in the very important business of inculcating public spirit into young citizens i judge merely by results most people fail in the high quality of public spirit and the american perhaps not more so than the rest perhaps all i ought to say is that according to my own limited observation public spirit is not among the shining attributes of the united states citizen and even to that statement there will be animated demur for have not the citizens of the united states been conspicuous for their public spirit it depends on what is meant by public spirit that is a public spirit in its finer forms i know what i do not mean by public spirit i was talking once to a member of an important and highly cultivated social community and he startled me by remarking the major vices do not exist in this community at all i was prepared to credit that such commandments as the second and sixth were not broken in that community but i really had doubts about some others such as the seventh and tenth however he assured me that such transgressions were unknown what do you do here i asked he replied we live for social service for each other the spirit characterizing that community would never be described by me as public spirit i would fit it with a word which will occur at once to every reader on the other hand i cannot admit as proof of public spirit the prevalent american habit of giving to the public that which is useless to oneself no matter how immense the quantity given and no matter how admirable the end in view 
when you have got the money it is rather easy to sit down and write a cheque for five million dollars and so bring a vast public institution into being it is still easier to leave the same sum by testament these feats are an affair of five minutes or so they cost simply nothing in time or comfort or peace of mind if they are illustrations of public spirit it is a low and facile form of public spirit true public spirit is equally difficult for the millionaire and for the clerk it is in fact very tedious work it implies the quiet daily determination to get eatable chops and steaks by honest means chiefly for oneself but incidentally for everybody else it necessitates trouble and inconvenience i was in a suburban house one night and it was the last night for registering names on an official list of voters before an election it was also a rainy night the master of the house awaited a carriage which was to be sent up by a candidate at the candidate's expense to take him to the place of registration time grew short shall we walk you there if the courage doesn't come i asked and gazed firmly at the prospective voter at that moment the carriage came we drove forth together and in a cabin warmed by a stove and full of the steam of mackintoshes i saw an interesting part of the american constitution at work four hatted gentlemen writing simultaneously the same particulars in four similar ledgers while exhorting a fifth to keep the stove alight an acquaintance came in who had trudged one mile through the rain that acquaintance showed public spirit in the ideal community a candidate for election will not send round carriages in order at the last moment to induce citizens to register in the ideal community citizens will regard such an attention as in the nature of an insult i was told that millionaires and presidents of trusts were chiefly responsible for any backwardness of public spirit in the united states i had heard and read the same thing about the united states in england i was therefore curious to meet these alleged sinister creatures and once at a repast i encountered quite a bunch of millionaire presidents i had them on my right hand and on my left no two were in the least alike in my simplicity i had expected a type formidable intimidating one bubbled with jollity obviously he had not a care in the world another was grave i talked with the latter but not easily he was taciturn or he may have been feeling his way or he may have been not quite himself even millionaire presidents must be self-conscious just as a notorious author is too often rendered uneasy by the consciousness of his notoriety so even a millionaire president may sometimes have a difficulty in being quite natural however he did ultimately talk it became clear to me that he was an extremely wise and sagacious man the lines of his mouth were ruthlessly firm yet he showed a general sympathy with all classes of society and he met my radicalism quite half-way 
on woman's suffrage he was very fair-minded as to his own work he said to me that when a new york paper asked him to go and be cross-examined by its editorial board he willingly went because he had nothing to conceal he convinced me of his uprightness and of his benevolence he showed a nice regard for the claims of the republic and a proper appreciation of what true public spirit is some time afterward i was talking to a very prominent new york editor and the conversation turned to millionaires whereupon for about half an hour the editor agreeably recounted circumstantial stories of the turpitude of celebrated millionaires stories which he alleged to be authentic and undeniable in every detail i had to gasp but surely i exclaimed and mentioned the man who had so favorably impressed me well said the editor reluctantly after a pause i admit he has the new sense of right and wrong to a greater extent than any of his rivals i italicize the heart of the phrase because it is italicized in my memory no words that i heard in the united states more profoundly struck me yet the editor had used them quite ingenuously unaware that he was saying anything singular since when is the sense of right and wrong new in america perhaps all that the editor meant was that public spirit in its higher forms was growing in the united states and beginning to show itself spectacularly here and there in the immense drama of commercial and industrial policies that public spirit is growing i believe it chanced that i found the basis of my belief more in chicago than anywhere else i have hitherto said nothing of the folk the great mass of the nation who live chiefly by the exercise in one way or another of muscular power or adroitness and who if they possess drawing-rooms do not sit in them like most writers when i have used such phrases as the american people i have meant that small dominant minority which has the same social code as myself goethe asserted that the folk were the only real people i do not agree with him for i have never found one city more real than another city nor one class of people more real than another class still he was goethe and the folk though mysterious are very real and since they constitute perhaps five-sixths of the nation it would be singular to ignore them i had two brief glimpses of them and the almost theatrical contrast of these two glimpses may throw further light upon the question just discussed i evaded niagara and the chicago stockyards but i did not evade the east side of new york the east side insisted on being seen and i was not unwilling in charge of a highly erudite newspaper man and of an amiable jewish detective who originally discovered by colonel roosevelt had come out first among eighteen hundred competitors in a physical examination my particular friend and i went forth one intemperate night to do the east side in an automobile we saw the garlanded and mirrored core of sharkey's saloon of which the most interesting phenomenon was a male pianist who would play the piano without stopping till two thirty a m with about two thousand other persons we had the privilege of shaking hands with sharkey 
we saw another saloon frequented by murderers who resembled shop assistants we saw a hebraic theatre whose hospitable proprietor informed us how he had discovered a great playwriting genius and how on the previous saturday night he had turned away seven thousand patrons for lack of room certainly on our night the house was crammed and the play seemed of realistic quality and the actresses effulgently lovely we saw a polack dancing hall where the cook girls were slatterns but romantic slatterns we saw seward park which is the dormitory of the east side in summer we saw a van clattering off with prisoners to the night court we saw illustrious burglars gunmen and dukes of famous streets for we had but to raise a beckoning finger and they approached us grinning out of gloomy shadows and very ordinary they seemed in spite of slashed faces we even saw chinatown and the wagonettes of tourists stationary in its streets i had suspected that chinatown was largely a show for tourists when i asked how it existed i was told that the two thousand chinese of chinatown lived on the ten thousand chinese who came into it from all quarters on sundays and i understood as a show it lacked convincingness except the delicatessen shop whose sights and odors silenced criticism it had the further disadvantage by reason of its tawdry appeals of colour and light of making one feel like a tourist above a certain level of culture no man who is a tourist has the intellectual honesty to admit to himself that he is a tourist such honesty is found only on the lower levels the detective saved our pride from time to time by introducing us to sights which the despicable ordinary tourist cannot see it was a proud moment for us when we assisted at a conspiratorial interview between our detective and the captain of the precincts and it was a proud moment when in an inconceivable retreat we were permitted to talk with an aged chinese actor and view his collection of flowery hats it was a still prouder and also a subtly humiliating moment when we were led through courtyards and beheld in their cloistral aloofness the american legitimate wives of wealthy chinamen sitting gorgeous with the quiescence of odalisques in gorgeous uncurtained interiors i was glad when one of the ladies defied the detective by abruptly swishing down her blind but these affairs did not deeply stir my imagination more engaging was the detective's own habit of stopping the automobile every hundred yards or so in order to point out the exact spot on which a murder or several murders had been committed murder was his chief interest i noticed the same trait in many newspapermen who would sit and tell excellent murder stories by the hour but murder was so common on the east side that it became for me curiously puerile a sort of naughtiness whose punishment to be effective ought to wound rather than flatter the vanity of the child-minded murderers more engaging still was the extraordinary frequency of banks some with opulent illuminated signs and of cinematograph shows in the east end of london or of paris banks are assuredly not a feature of the landscape 
and for good reason the cinematograph is possibly on the whole a civilizing agent it might easily be the most powerful force on the east side i met the gentleman who controlled all the cinematographs and was reputed to make a million dollars a year net therefrom he did not appear to be a bit weighed down either by the hugeness of his opportunity or by the awfulness of his responsibility the supreme sensation of the east side is the sensation of its astounding populousness the most populous street in the world rivington street is a sight not to be forgotten compared to this an uptown thoroughfare of crowded middle-class flats is the open country is an uninhabited desert the architecture seemed to sweat humanity at every window and door the roadways were often impassable the thought of the hidden interiors was terrifying indeed the hidden interiors would not bear thinking about the fancy shunned them a problem not to be settled by sudden municipal edicts but only by the efflux of generations confronted by this spectacle of sickly-faced immortal creatures who lie closer than any other wild animals would lie who live picturesque feverish and appalling existences who amuse themselves who enrich themselves who very often lift themselves out of the swarming warren and leave it forever but whose daily experience in the warren is merely and simply horrible confronted by this incomparable and overwhelming phantasmagoria for such it seems one is foolishly apt to protest to inveigh to accuse the answer to futile animadversions was in my particular friend's query well what are you going to do about it my second glimpse of the folk was at quite another end of the city of new york namely the bronx i was urgently invited to go and see how the folk lived in the bronx and feeling convinced that a place with a name so remarkable must itself be remarkable i went the centre of the bronx is a racket of elevated bordered by banks theatres and other places of amusement as a spectacle it is decent inspiring confidence but not awe and being rather repellent to the sense of beauty nobody could call it impressive yet i departed from the bronx very considerably impressed it is the interiors of the bronx homes that are impressive i was led to a part of the bronx where five years previously there had been six families and where now there are over two thousand families this was newest new york no obstacle impeded my invasion of the domestic privacies of the bronx the mistresses of flats showed me round everything with politeness and with obvious satisfaction a stout lady whose husband was either an artisan or a clerk i forgot which inducted me into a flat of four rooms of which the rent was twenty-six dollars a month she enjoyed the advantages of central heating gas and electricity and among the landlord's fixtures were a refrigerator a kitchen range a bookcase and a sideboard such amenities for the people for the petits gens simply do not exist in europe they do not even exist for the wealthy in europe but there was also the telephone the house exchange being in charge of the janitor's daughter a pleasing occupant of the entrance hall 
i was told that the telephone with a nickel call increased the occupancy of the bronx flats by ten per cent thence i visited the flat of a doctor a practitioner who would be the equivalent of a shilling doctor in a similar quarter of london here were seven rooms at a rent of forty-five dollars a month and no end of conveniences certainly many more than in any flat that i had ever occupied myself i visited another house and saw similar interiors and now i began to be struck by the splendor and the cleanliness of the halls landings and staircases marble halls tessellated landings and stairs out of holland the whole producing a gorgeous effect to match the glory of the embroidered pillowcases in the bedroom on the roofs were drying grounds upon which each tenant had her rightful day so that altercations might not arise i saw an empty flat the professional vermin exterminator had just gone for the landlord company took no chances in this detail of management then i was lifted a little higher in the social financial scale to a building of which the entrance hall reminded me of the foyers of grand hotels a superb negro held dominion therein but not over the telephone girl who ran the exchange ten hours a day for twenty-five dollars a month which considering that the janitor received sixty-five dollars and his rooms seemed to me to be somewhat insufficient in this house the corridors were broader and to the conveniences was added a mail chute a device which is still regarded in europe as the final word of plutocratic luxury rampant the rents ran to forty-eight dollars a month for six rooms in this house i was asked by hospitable tenants whether i was not myself and when i had admitted that i was myself books of which i had been guilty were produced and i was called upon to sign them the fittings and decorations of all these flats were artistically vulgar just as they are in flats costing a thousand dollars a month but they were well executed and resulted in a general harmonious effect of innocent prosperity the people whom i met showed no trace of the influence of those older artistic civilizations whose charm seems subtly to pervade the internationalism of the east side in certain strata and streaks of society on the east side things artistic and intellectual are comprehended with an intensity of emotion and understanding impossible to anglo-saxons this i know the bronx is different the bronx is beginning again at a stage earlier than art and beginning better it is a place for those who have learnt that physical righteousness has got to be the basis of all future progress it is a place to which the fit will be attracted and where the fit will survive it was rather a harsh reality it reminded me of a phrase used by an american at the head of an enormous business he had been explaining to me how he tried a man in one department and if he did not shine in that then in another and in another and so on and if you find in the end that he's honest but not efficient i asked then was the answer we think he's entitled to die and we fire him the bronx presented itself to me as a place where the right of the inefficient to expire would be cheerfully recognized 
the district that i inspected was certainly as i say for the fit efficiency in physical essentials was inculcated and practised by the landlord company whose constant aim seemed to be to screw up higher and higher the self-respect of its tenants that the landlord company was not a band of philanthropists but a capitalistic group in search of dividends i could readily admit but that it should find its profit in the business of improving the standard of existence and appealing to the pride of the folk was to me a wondrous sign of the essential vigor of american civilization and a proof that public spirit unostentatious as a coral insect must after all have long been at work somewhere compare the east side with the bronx fully and one may see perhaps roughly a symbol of what is going forward in america nothing i should imagine could be more interesting to a sociological observer than that actual creation of a city of homes as i saw it in the bronx i saw the home complete and i saw the home incomplete with wallpapers not on with the roof not on why i even saw further out the ground being levelled and the solid rock drilled where now most probably actual homes are inhabited and babies have been born and i saw further than that nailed against a fine and ancient tree in the midst of a desolate waste i saw a board with these words a new subway station will be erected on this corner there are legendary people who have eyes to see the grass growing i have seen new york growing it was a hopeful sight too at this point my impressions of america come to an end for the present were i to assert in the phrase conveniently proper to such an occasion that no one can be more sensible than myself of the manifold defects omissions inexactitudes gross errors and general lack of perspective which my narrative exhibits i should assert the thing which is not i have not the slightest doubt that a considerable number of persons are more sensible than myself of my shortcomings for on the subject of america i do not even know enough to be fully aware of my own ignorance still i am fairly sensible of the enormous imperfection and rashness of this book when i regard the map and see the trifling extent of the ground that i covered a scrap tucked away in the northeast corner of the vast multicolored territory i marvel at the assurance i displayed in choosing my title indeed i have yet to see your united states any englishman visiting the country for the second time having begun with new york ought to go round the world and enter by san francisco seeing seattle before baltimore and denver before chicago his perspective might thus be corrected in a natural manner and the process would in various ways be salutary it is a nice question how many of the opinions formed on the first visit and especially the most convinced and positive opinions would survive the ordeal of the second as for these brief chapters i hereby announce that i am not prepared ultimately to stand by any single view which they put forward there is naught in them which is not liable to be recanted 
the one possible justification of them is that they offer to the reader the one thing that in the very nature of the case a mature and accustomed observer could not offer namely an immediate account as accurate as i could make it of the first tremendous impact of the united states on a mind receptive and unprejudiced the greatest social historian the most conscientious writer could not recapture the sensation of that first impact after further intercourse had scattered them end of chapter eight end of your united states impressions of a first visit by arnold bennett